Welcome to Hidden God, a podcast where we explore issues of theology and culture provided by Tulsa Bible Church. If you'd like more information, check out our website at tulsabible.org. So Jared, let me ask you a question. Shoot. Tell me about the the life, the health currently of your hair. How are you feeling about it? Ooh, eesh. I think everyone wants to know. Mm. When I start the answer with, mm, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I don't feel too great about it. Um, Every year, it's kind of like the tides, man. They're Mm -hmm. they're rolling back, slowly Mm. rolling back. Um, I don't have any issues with kind of like the halo spot on the head, but the but the frontal hairline, eh, yeah, not where it used to be. Yeah. Just slowly rolling back. Well, I'm not asking this because your hair looks bad. Your hair looks great. Thanks. It does. When I'm sitting out there and I'm listening to your sermon, it's a hard hard to even focus sometimes because of how good looking your hair is. What do you do with your hair? Do you style it every day? Do you what do you, do you put gel in it? I just I I you typically don't use a comb or a brush. Okay. It's all hand. Okay. Kind of like forming and shaping. You guys can't see this because it's this is a podcast. <laughs> But it's just, it's a lot of that. And I use just a little bit of Aveda forming cream. Aveda forming cream. Which probably has like whale blubber in it (laughs) and like all kinds of inappropriate (laughs) items. But hey, it makes, it does the do, man. Yeah. (laughs) So if you all want to steal the look, what you need is like some sort of plaid button down shirt, pair of skin tight jeans and Aveda forming cream is that right that's it man. that's it there that's, it is that's that's the secret recipe that's the secret recipe the jared verwheel look well the reason i ask you this you we were talking about this and we wanted to make a public service announcement a mm. psa to everyone listening to this podcast please go to your bathrooms and <laughs> grab your shampoo bottles and read the ingredients on the shampoo bottle okay. because we learned that there is such a thing as laurel sulfates as well as many other terrible ingredients that you found on google that will kill your hair. Kills hair right. Sodium laurel sulfate. Sulfate. It it kills it literally is like it's in shampoos, but it, it kills your hair slowly. It's terrible. That's it's like, disgusting. What were they thinking? Why would you put something <laughs> in shampoo? You're like defeating your own product. Yes, it is. It's self-defeating. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Well, because then you can you can provide the opposite product, which saves your hair. Yeah. That does not have, that has vitamins in it or something. I don't know. Well, and I found two shampoos so far that will save me from oh. sodium laurel sulfate. One of them is produced by Trader Joe. Okay. Shampoo, yeah. you told me about that one. Good old Trader, Trader Joe. And apparently uh, this Pantene hmm. product, you know, you see their uh, commercials and stuff. Yeah. Pantene Pro-V, whatever. Yeah. So Pantene's got some without the hair-killing stuff in there. What do you know? Look at Pantene st- picking up their game. I, th- I kind of think like, okay, somebody started the bald look mm-hmm. years and years ago. I think mm-hmm. it was like Jordan. <laughs> I think he yeah. I think he was so popular a couple athletes you saw like some black comedians doing it mm-hmm. Damon Wayans and mm-hmm. stuff I mean and they pulled it off and it was like wow you know you look like you should be a bald man that and it's and <laughs> yeah. now it's almost like yeah the bald head in the beard is yeah. is kind of like one of the modern looks that's going on right now so 
So yeah, what do you do, man? It's like the hair is gonna, it's gonna go. It's gonna go. And the thing is, is we should also say there's nothing wrong with the bald look, like you right. just said. I mean, honestly, in a lot of ways, I one day look forward to being bald. Um, I think it's very cool. And most of this, if you look at someone in uh, fiction, usually the most sophisticated people in fiction are, are bald people. Valid something, point, but that's said about it. But that's not. I, I, I'm not going there, man. I, I, <laughs> I would never look forward. So who looks forward to losing their hair, man? Well, <laughs> okay, I'm not like, you know, waiting for the day. <laughs> I'm just saying when it happens, it'll be an exciting change in my life. But of course, like I said, we're going to start, I'm going to start switching over to the, the Trader Joe Pantene shampoo, you know, make it last, you know, take care of it. Be a good steward of my hair. Yeah. Everybody I know who's bald on the north side of their head mm -hmm. gets pretty furry on the south side. Hmm. I mean, it seems to like when yeah. you lose your hair on the top, it migrates to the beard. Hmm. And if that would be the case, I would actually, this is, a, this is the question. Yeah. Would you rather be bald and have a bigger beard <laughs> or have a good hair of head on the top of it? <laughs> okay. This is actually a very good question. That is, I would go that's with mind blowing right there. I think I would go with the beard. I, I think would go I would bald too. and beard. Yeah. I think I would too. There's just something about a good burly beard. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be cool. Yeah. Of course, my hair is pretty thin and wispy. So trading off, I don't know how much beard I'd get out of it. Yeah. That is a, a question I would ask. Yeah. So you tune into the Hidden God podcast and you're going to hear a little bit about theology and addiction and how to save your hair. So, sulfates. Sulfates. Laurels. <laughs> whatever that is. <laughs> whatever a laurel is. Oh, man. Yikes. All right. Well, hey, thanks again for joining us at um, Hidden God. We're going to continue our uh, two-part series on addictions before we turn the page to pornography, actually, which is going to get a little bit serious and um, something that really just needs to be addressed in the church a lot more often. I, th I heard the most recent statistic statistic on pornography is 65% of men. Hmm. So when you go, come into a church and sit down, there's a guy on your left side, there's a guy on your right side. One of them is is probably struggling with a pornography addiction. Wow. Man, that's like that's startling to me. Honestly, I'm surprised it's that low. 65%? Yeah. Only 65%? Well, you know, that was from Casey Boltinghouse and Oh, well, he's tall. He's tall. What does he know? Yeah. Thick uh, head of hair. No, if I trust yeah. him. But we're going to turn the page to uh, to pornography and, and address that from the lens of uh, Christian counseling and, and biblical theology and how to address those things. But before we do, we wanted to wrap up this um, edition on addictions and just begin to talk about the way the dynamics of addiction. Mm. So last time we said that all addictions begin with distress, something in the life that turns uh, sideways on you, causes maybe pain, sorrow, despair, hopelessness, and the person will turn to a substance or an agent hmm. to relieve that distress. And the element that really drives addiction, and this is what we tried to draw out of James chapter four last week, is desire. And of course, God created desires. He created desire as good. It's Satan who comes in and takes our desires away from those God-intended means and turns them to worldly things. But but really what James will say in chapter four is that there is a war going on for our desires, deep longings. And the world, Satan and the flesh creates these deep longings that convince us that we need to 
uh, pursue these things outside of God. We need to pursue that which is created instead of the creator. And that, in essence, is the battle that faces the sinner and the addict. Cornelius Plantinga puts it this way. I think this is good. He says, addiction taps into longing the way a blackmailer might garnish your wages. Every time you meet a demand, it escalates. Every time you recover self-respect, the will to love, or any vital resource, it gets sapped away by this parasite. Man, that's powerful. Plantiga also goes on to talk about, in that same book, how the addict often gets caught up in a cycle of delusion. So kind of starting with what you said, it's 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 constantly taking more, and you're, you get caught in this cycle. And he calls this the cycle of delusion. So when an addictive desires are met, there's actually, there's typically... Um, a feeling of despair, right? right? And this is relating to you realizing you're mastered by this substance or, or addiction, whatever it is. And so you know the cycle is in full gear when an addict attempts to soothe his despair with the very same obsession that caused it. So the cycle of delusion is is, is having some sort of addiction and then succumbing to that addiction realizing you have been mastered by this thing and trying to um, uh, console yourself with the obsession, the addiction itself. And it moves from just an addiction and actually becomes an obsession. So I'm in despair about the substance, so I go to the substance to find, to fix myself. And uh, scripturally, we were talking about this earlier, scripturally, we see this uh, with Samson, actually, in Judges 14. Might be probably the best example in Scripture of someone who does this. If you look at, in chapter 14 of Judges, Samson is struggling with his obsession with Delilah, right? right? He says to his parents, she is the right one for me. Go get her. He's determined to have her. And then from there on, he's got this obsession. She keeps trying to kill him, right? (laughs) Or or bring him down, capture him. She keeps betraying him. She is his downfall. And yet the way he consoles himself is with her. And so it's this cycle of delusion. He can't seem to get past it. Yeah. Yeah, And there's a a chain effect of sin here that's going to happen. All sin begins with desire. Hmm. Desire will morph into demand. Not, Hmm. Not just, I want this, but I have to have it. And What I've heard it said is that uh, demand is the closing of the fist around your desire. Hmm. You know, just this is this is the only thing that's going to help me right now. And from there, desire, demand, it goes to expectation. Now it's now you need to help me fulfill my demand and my desire. And that's exactly what happens in the Samson account is, uh, man, that's the woman I want. I don't want to hear anything from you guys, mom and dad. Go get her. Mm -hmm. No questions asked. Yeah. God ends up throwing a, a lion in his path. He throws all kinds of things to, to convince Samson, look, you're doing, you're going down the wrong path. And each time he just fights through it. Yeah. He keeps going and it eventually it leads to his downfall. Hmm. An addict will do anything for their idol, including dying for it, yeah. which, which is a sad reality. Uh, in the cycle of delusion, addicts often experience what's called the tolerance effect. Um, and, and this is easy enough to understand. If I gossip once and it brings me some kind of satisfaction, the next thing that I find out, the next piece of news, I'm going to gossip to two people. Mm-hmm. And then ne- next time it's going to be three people and I'm going to cause this this storm of gossip. It's just we become more, um, it becomes more tolerable to enter the sin. And in that process, we are being desensitized to the sin. Mm-hmm. Now, you see that in the media all the time. 
before on TV, if you saw um, a man and a woman kissing, that was inappropriate. Yeah. You know, soon enough it was holding hands. It became kissing. Now you see everything from homosexuals on on TV shows to to whatever you would want to find. Um, and all all that's doing is desensitizing us to these images and to these things, convincing us that it's actually it's okay to indulge in them and, it, and it's not. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great example. You can look at the movie ratings throughout the years. A oh, movie that would be rated PG thirteen today would have been rated R back in, you know, whenever, long time ago. No doubt. And so, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a great, that's a fantastic example. Um, and, and really, this is, this is the irony of it all. Sin is slavery. Right. Right. So many people don't approach addictions as slavery. Instead, they attempt to self-manage and master their addictions on their own. So we, we see the issue is people don't take sin as seriously as they ought to, you know, we, we don't see sin as, as slavery. We don't consider it like we are in bondage to something. We, we kind of tend to treat sin like it's a little pet when yeah. in reality we need to treat it like it's a predator. It's, it's bound, it's dying to kill us. <laughs> sin is, is deceptive in yes. nature. It's self-deceiving. Yes. Sin is blind. Mm-hmm. So we don't see it in ourselves. And the worst kind of, the worst kind of chains are the, are the chains that you cannot see. Right. That's right. the worst kind of prisoner. And it fools us into thinking that we can take on this addiction, take on this sin, and we ourselves can master it. And a lot of secular psychology and, and therapy is going to teach this exact thing. You have the power within yourself to get over this addiction, but they're not going to call it sin. But what we need to come to realize is that it is slavery. And, and we need to ask ourselves, what really happens when it attempts at self-management fail? Oh my goodness, they will fail. Yeah. You know, and it's, if this doesn't work, it's going to be the next thing. Mm -hmm. That's not going to work. We're going to try something else. That's not going to work. Attempts at self-management and um, just self-motivation to overcome these struggles are always going to fall short because you're talking about a sin problem. And if you've got a sin problem, it's Mm going to demand sin solutions. And self is not going to be the solution that we're going to, we're going to look to. Uh, this is when addictions will flourish in our attempt to fight them on our own power. Hmm. So really all these attempts at self-mastery um, and overcoming these on our own power, it's just going to cause us to cycle one more level down. Because when they do fail, we find ourselves deeper into the sin issue yeah. than we were the first time. Yeah, this is so true. This is so true. And I, I mean, we can even take that back to the Samson um, example. Exactly. You know? How many times did he rely on his own strength to get himself out of that situation? And he just took, it, Delilah narrowed it down. Okay, what is his weakness, right? And he got further and further into it. And that's exactly right. Man. So the only real way out of addiction then is not to find all these workarounds, but instead to just go through it. Have face to go through reality. It. Yeah have to go through a face reality the the person who thinks his addiction is not that bad is the worst kind of addict the person who admits he is helpless is actually getting the help they need for the very first time that's the start that's how you face the reality of your addiction you start by admitting i can do nothing about this <laughs> right right and that's it seems to be a, a contradiction yeah it seems to be counterintuitive that the way to help ourselves is to realize that we can't mm-hmm. help ourselves, but that absolutely is the first step on the path to recovery. 
and all of your addiction recovery programs know this. Mm-hmm. Any 12-step program, 10-step program that's out there, you're, you're probably hearing some kind of uh, images to AA, NA, that kind of stuff. And we, we know this great prayer, right? Uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, mm-hmm. right? Secular <clears throat> voices are still coming to the conclusion that you can't do this on your own. But AA is going to provide a, a very distinct approach to handling an alcohol addiction. And mostly what a lot of people say that aren't addicted to alcohol is that AA was this program that uh, kind of was designed for your middle-aged white guy whose prideful self-will was taking over. And so the first thing that you need to do to, to annihilate that pride and that selfish ambition is to convince them that they cannot help themselves. Hmm. And other people have seen that and they say, listen, I'm not a middle-aged white guy that's struggling with alcohol. I've got my other addictions. Maybe I'm a female, maybe I'm, I'm struggling in another way. And so they too will turn to self-mastery. You know, like hmm. I can roll up my sleeves, dig a little bit deeper. By golly, we're going to get through this, you know, just by just by attempting to uh, try harder, hmm. which is the essence of, of sin and mm-hmm. works and anti-gospel mm-hmm. perspective. That's what got us into the mess in the first place. Exactly. was that mindset. And that's what constantly digs us further into it. Exactly. I think the bottom line here is that, I mean, we, we, we always come back to this, is that sin is idolatry yeah. at the heart. And so whether it's idolatry of a substance or idolatry of the self, you know, whether you're idolizing the addiction or you're idolizing, like you said, yourself, I can get past this. It's still idolatry. That's still the main issue here. So this brings up this question. We know sin as slavery and we know sin as lust. Why is it important to the addict to see a sin as idolatry? That's a great question. And many images can be used Hmm. for sin. You can look at sin as adultery Mm-hmm. You can look at sin as slavery. We talked about that just a second ago. Mm-hmm. Idolatry is one of the, the strongest and the most powerful images to understanding sin in terms of an addiction. Because at its heart, again, what we're saying is sin is deeply rooted in desire or in a deep, deep longing. We desire something. We have a deep longing that is ultimately rooted in the heart. Mm. This is not a longing that, say, I'm a... I love steaks. If I give myself a steak, I'm going to be satisfied. Guess what? You're going to want a steak tomorrow. You're going to want a steak and eggs in the morning kind Mm. of thing. It's not in the belly. It's again, it's not in the taste buds necessarily. These desires are deeply rooted in our hearts. And so literally and spiritually our, our hearts, John Calvin would put it this way, are idol factories. Hmm. We mass produce idols. Ezekiel 14 talks about idols of the heart in the life of Israel And so an addict will do anything, absolutely anything for his idol. And instead of picturing idolatry as, as the ancient Near East would with like handheld figurines, things that you put on the shelf and bow down and pray to and worship your ancestors through something like that. We need to picture idols as the things that we have in our life. And it can be anything. It can be good things that our hearts cling to more than they cling to God hmm. for significance, for identity, for security, and ultimately for hope. Hmm. Idolatry 
is probably the most central and most important image that the Bible uses for sin. Absolutely. Because anytime we, we want something more than we want God, I mean, that's exactly what an idol is. You know, it's I love I love what you just said about the, the John Calvin quote, our hearts being idol factories. We are constantly producing them. And, and really, that is what sin is. Anytime we want something more than we ever want God, you've identified an idol. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the Old Testament is really clear that you will become like what you worship. Hmm. So if you worship money, you're going to become a money-hungry entrepreneur type guy that's just does everything. It doesn't matter what, what else happens. He's going to pursue money. He's going to get more money. If you um, pursue women, you'll become a womanizer on the outside. The things that you love the most, you become those things when you sin. And so we would, we become like our idols. They are deaf, they are blind and they are dumb. Mm. They cannot respond to the call of God. And so we need to shatter these idols. So so let's go here. Um, Where do we go? Where do we go to shatter the idols of addiction? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to identify what we're up against, what, what our enemy is. Good call. Uh, The first place that I would go to would be first Peter chapter five, verse eight. And let me pull that up here and I'll read that for us. So in first Peter five, the apostle writes, he says, he's giving a command to the the readers and he says, be sober minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. So he, he personifies the enemy as this lion that is prowling, he's tactful in his in his pursuit, and he's roaring, so he's ready to claim his victory, right? Man. And his his intention is to devour someone. He has no soft bellied intentions. He's he's ready to eat you alive. Exactly. <laughs> this is a scary analogy that he uses. Sin is a predator. Yes. And it will stalk you. Yes. It will hunt you down and mm-hmm. it will absolutely eat you alive. Yeah. And the that lion imagery is there. It's it's intended to be very, very graphic. In terms of our spirituality and the condition of our heart, sin is not a respecter of persons. Mm. It will absolutely kill your vitality and your spiritual relationship to God. Absolutely. And this is not the first time that we're given the the strategy of sin. In in Genesis chapter 4, in the context of God speaking with Cain, he tells him in 4 verse 7, he says, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? And he's talking about the sacrifices, but he said, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Again, we see how strategic and um, crafty sin is. It's it's crouching at the door, waiting for you to leave, so that it can pounce on you and and again eat you alive. Yeah, yeah. And in, in the image of sin crouching, mm-hmm. kind of brings you to this thought that sin will always look smaller mm-hmm. than it really is. It will always look a little bit more. Uh, innocent yeah. than it truly is. But really all, all you're seeing is the action of sin crouching, concealing itself before it becomes the, uh, the consequences and the, the outcome of practicing the things that are outside of God's will. Yeah. It's for some reason, Satan convinces us that we can get as close to the line of sin as possible without crossing over it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be okay. Right. And Martin Luther's got this quote. He says, you know, you can 
you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can sure stop them from making a nest in your hair, <laughs> right? So let's not get as close to sin as, as we possibly can. Instead, let's realize the danger of it and do more like Joseph and Potiphar. Man, yeah. I am out of here. Like yeah. I'm running the absolute other direction, and that's going to put us in a much safer spot. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I just, I keep going back. I heard this from one of the pastors at McLean Bible Church the other day. He said, you know, we have to, I said this earlier, we have to stop treating sin like it's a pet. Because mm. when we treat it, like you said, it's, it, it approaches us in a smaller form of what it is. It makes itself look like some cute little thing that we can master. It's a self-deceiving Man. thought, you know, but we have to treat it like a predator. Exactly how the Bible tells us it is. Cuddle up next to it. Right. This is all good. It feels good. It seems good. It's not good. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, from there, I think when we when you realize the power of sin, the deceptive nature of sin, uh, we've got to start with a little bit of humility from there. Uh, fighting addictions is going to happen. Just like in fighting sin, it happens on multiple levels mm-hmm. in multiple ways. So you need accountability partners in your life. You need to know uh, where to go in scripture to be equipped. You need to meditate on God's word. You need to pray for God to release you from those things. There's there's all kind of things that are you need to do to fight the power of sin that's over you. Even the redeemed person, talk about this in just a little bit, is still going to struggle with the sin nature that lies deep within their heart. And so we have to prepare ourselves for battle, uh, as Paul would tell us in Ephesians chapter 6. There are things that are happening in spiritual places we cannot see. We've got to be equipped and ready for that. Mm. But have the humility to know what you're up against. Mm. Uh, sin is, is a powerful, powerful force. And uh, it's, a, it's something that is not going to just go away yeah. on its own. We yeah. need something outside of ourselves in order to fight this thing once and for all. Absolutely. Um, after, after thinking about humility and the power of sin, I think what we, what we all ultimately need to derive to is this posture of confession and repentance. Yeah, I think so. If we, if you look at, um, I mean, first John one nine classic passage says, if we confess our sins, right, we repent of them, then God is faithful and he's righteous, not only to forgive us of those sins, but also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, that's part of like what you were just saying about humility. Be humble enough um, to realize you you can't get over this on your own. Again, it's admitting you are entirely helpless. So the only thing you can really do at all, if you could do anything, is just confess the fact that you're a sinner to God and repent of this and bow to the feet of Jesus and let him cleanse you from that unrighteousness. Yeah. And there's something about confession. Yeah. That is powerful. Um, the Greek word for confession is homologeo. I guess is how you'd say it. It's the same word. So in essence, when you confess to God, you are giving the same word. You are agreeing with God hmm. that this is wrong. It's offended his holiness and you desire to have a right relationship with him instead. Wow. But David will say when he confesses his sin with Bathsheba, confession brought healing to his bones. So, I mean, Literally, when you think about somebody who is addicted to a sin, just saying, this is wrong for me to do this and vocalizing that, Mm -hmm. it can be the hardest thing for an addict or a sinner to do that, especially among people that you respect, that you trust in your life. 
but it, it, it is always difficult. It is always hard to do that, but it brings healing in so many ways just to agree with God, to vocalize those things, yes. to get them off your chest and, and enter into a, a stance of repentance. And repentance is just this, it's a complete change of mind. Remember Martin Luther told us that repentance isn't just a one-time act. This is something that you will do for the rest of your life mm-hmm. as a Christian. We constantly change our mind about ourselves our will, our decisions that are sinful against God, living life how we want to live it. We constantly turn from that and live in a direction in a way that God wants us to live with him at the center instead of self at the center. Hmm. So, okay, let's wrap this up then. So we, we've, we've done a lot of talking. How do we apply this to our lives? Where do we start? Yeah, first thing I'm gonna say is we all have a habit where sin is concerned. Okay. Sin in in itself is addictive. So somebody has said, not all sin is addiction, but not all addictions are sin, excuse mm-hmm. me, but all sin is addictive in nature. Hmm. Any of us who struggle with sin, period, we're going to go through these steps that we talked about. Desire, demand, expectation. Uh, disappoint, when disappointment comes to those expectations, that's when we hurt people in our personal relationships and uh, start operating in unhealthy ways. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. So whether you're addicted to uh, movies and I'm just struggling with gossip, at the heart level, it's the same habit. It's the same things that are going on. And this should cause us to give a little bit of compassion to the to the addict, but also cause us to look into our own hearts yeah. and say, you know what? I'm really not that better than you. I still struggle the same way that you struggle. Let's, let's do this thing called the Christian life together in community. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think that we can, we can take comfort in that actually, because it's comforting to know that you're not the only one who struggles with addiction, especially knowing specific addictions, you know, um, just, Classic passage, First Corinthians ten thirteen. You know, nothing. Everyone who who struggles with any sin is struggling with the same sin that anyone else has ever ever struggled with. It's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun, right? So I, I think that's that's a great uh, point of application to take away from this. The second thing I would say is that the hardness of God is softer than the kindness of man, and and when the reason that we bring that out, especially like if you consider something like. Matthew, um, Jesus says in a Matthew chapter 11, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? We take on a lot of, a lot of hard things in life and we try to find ways to, uh, man, try to help ourselves. Kind of like what we were talking about earlier. We try to manage ourselves and get out of the situation, get out of the addictions and the sins on our own. And even in our kindest efforts of that, God's hardness in the situation is softer than our own kindness in that situation. His yoke is very easy and his burden is very light. So turning to God in these situations is even in his, um, even as frightening as he is, yeah. <laughs> is our best bet to get get out of that addiction. Yeah, everybody's turned off by the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. He's going to judge you for your sin. You know, you're filthy, unrepentant, pagan, turn from your wicked ways, right. Seek, right. seek the Lord. And you get this, you get this, vision or this idea that God is just up there looking down and smiting people, you know, smite me almighty smiter kind of stuff. Here's the deal. Um, the truth of God is it hurts. Mm -hmm. It hurts when we struggle with sin. It hurts when we look at ourselves in the mirror 
and realize how, how short we fall of his perfect glory. But even, even that pain, even that hardness and his perfection that we are up against uh, as sinful men is so much softer than, than what the world is going to tell you and how to deal with this stuff and just digging down deep and doing it. My goodness, the person who, who defeat is self-defeated in their sin and continues around on like two cycles of this stuff, they're just going to feel awful. And like you said last week, they just give up the, the will to keep living Mm -hmm. even. But when you see God, not only as truth address sin as truth, you also see his, his comfort and his grace right behind that and, mm. and his mercy. And that's, uh, you can't ask for a, a better God yeah. than one who forgives. Absolutely. Sin. So last thing I want to mention is that redemption is an event as well as a process. Redemption is an event as well as a process. And here's what I mean by that. People who struggle with sin, addiction or not, you're probably going to struggle with those sins after you become a believer. Mm. And that's because sin is so deeply rooted in our hearts. When God redeems us, that happens the second that we trust Christ. We are redeemed, past tense. But we are also in the process of being redeemed through life. So there's a a both and in this situation. And when we struggle against sin, it's going to be a process of learning what it exactly means that we are redeemed in him. Mm -hmm. You know, and and taking the next steps of life, we're going to fail. You're going to fall short again and again and again. And hopefully over time, you know, your spiritual vitality and strength in God, because of your dependence on the Holy Spirit, you sin less than you did. Um, in reality, you know, it's, it's, it's a roller coaster. You're going to go through valleys. You're going to go through mountaintops. But we're all on this road together. None of us are going to be perfect until glory. And so let's, uh, let's live our life story that God has written for us in a way that reflects the redemptive story of the gospel and carry out our identity and who he created us to be. It's going to be, it's going to take some time. It's going to be a process. Yeah. Wow. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Sorry. I'm just, you're, you're right. I'm just getting lost in it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just sitting here listening to you. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's been exactly my experiences up and downs, you know, and exactly. I think that it's, it's, it's self-deceiving to say that, you know, oh, I've come to Christ. So that means everything's going to be butterflies and rainbows here forward. You know, things are going to get easier as we go along. They're not. Things aren't going to get easier, but you're going to have the same faithful, powerful God behind you and with you every step of the way. Sometimes, sometimes things actually get harder in this (laughs) life. Um, And it really is. It's faith and it's hope. These are the characteristics that we embody as Christians to press us forward to eternity. Mm. You know, so uh, again, we're all going to go through difficult times in life, but we have to believe what the scripture said about Mm -hmm. us. We have to uh, dive into our identity in Christ. Paul just loves that phrase, in Christ, in Christ, through all of his letters. That identity is really going to help shape us and form us to make better decisions as we go, and, and hopefully we're becoming more and more into God's image along the way. So... I think that's a good place to leave it. Man, next time we're gonna we're gonna talk about some harder things. I'm gonna try to give somewhat of a history of pornography. So I want you guys to to come back. We've got one episode. We're gonna take a little bit of a break before we pick that up. Hopefully, get a guest in with us next week, and we will continue on from there. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Hidden God.
go to the store, get you some good shampoo. <laughs> Abandon the laurel sulfates. <laughs> Kick them to the streets, friends. Just just a little tidbit for you guys. We're trying to help you. <laughs> Thanks again. We'll talk to you guys next time. See you.